Can you all hear us in the back? I'm worried about you all. You're can good? You, okay? you can hear? Good deal. I think Stanton has like a radio voice, so his voice is much better than mine. I, I'm I've not got a worried. radio figure, too. I, I do have a radio figure. Yeah. I appreciate this. But. We went to the same radio figure school. <laughs> we did. <laughs> everyone my name is john edwards and i am here at the little arrow resort in townsend tennessee this is a continuation of the whole day that we had before father's day and you are listening to dad shrinking bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us a part of your day and with me is stanton from postmodern spirits in knoxville tennessee stanton thank you so much for joining the dads hey thanks john i appreciate being here we appreciate you coming on more than you know because you brought us or you brought me. I keep I'm so used to saying us and Zeke left me high and dry. Zeke is at the beach right now and we are here in the mountains. It is gorgeous at the Little Arrow Resort. I got to tell you I'm staying in a tiny house. I know Stanton, you're driving back because Knoxville is not that far away. It's not, and I don't really have a figure for tiny houses, so it doesn't work that well. Well, with my daughter, I am actually the the steps are too steep for my daughter mm-hmm. to sleep up on the second floor. So I am rolling solo on the second floor, sleeping on this mattress on the floor. For those of you that don't know, I'm six three and three hundred pounds watching my fat ass go upstairs and then like seeing it's my a special show that's seeing my ass stick out as i'm trying to get down these steps it's great but i i'm very appreciative to be able to stay at a tiny house here at the the little arrow resort because there's air streams there's glamping there's a couple guys back there that are actually glamping they said it's tight they had to spoon each other last night because it was so so tight in there but they really enjoyed it because it kept them warm and it kept them safe because there were some bears that were actually walking around here last night it was awesome Uh, but there's cabins there's tiny houses there's air streams there's glamping i love this resort there's a playground for my daughter and a pool and there's a little coffee shop you can go get your coffee made at so Really, really love staying at Little Arrow. I'm probably going to have to come back here again for the Grits and Grains Fest in November. In November. Cassie and Carmen are awesome here at the Little Arrow Resort. Everybody give them a round of applause. And it is a way for us to also say, if you heard clapping, you're not used to hearing clapping (laughs) for Dad's Tricky Bourbon podcast but i mean man i can't believe how many of you are here there's like 50 of you here now if my math is correct and zeke normally i I keep mentioning zeke you guys don't know who zeke is but zeke is this big tall goofy looking guy who has a mustache like he's in an old bad 70s movie i know there are kids present so i'm going to be very careful but his mustache makes it seem like he was there to fix your plumbing (laughs) And, you know, he's going to knock on the door and say something like, anyway, but Stanton, I digress. This is is a great lead-in. It's a a great, great (laughs) lead-in. But Stanton, 
that whole tangent started because you brought so much stuff. You guys primarily make gin at, at Postmodern, or at least the stuff that I've heard that's made its way to Nashville as everybody talks about your gin. We got started with a little different, uh, little different approach, and we do a lot of gins. We have four, four distinct gins right now um, in production. One of those is Tasting Room Only, and it started life as a beer in Knoxville. We work, uh, we do a lot of collaborations with local breweries in Knoxville, and that gin actually started off as um, as an IPA. And the the brewers come down every Tuesday and have gin and tonics at the distillery didn't like their beer um they were complaining about it didn't turn out right they were talking about dumping it which i thought was just a waste because it's a great alcohol source if you know kind of the science of making spirits and distilling you know all you need is an alcohol source it doesn't matter what it is so we slid them a couple rounds of gin and tonics got them nice and loose and convinced them to let us drive our forklift down to their brewery pick up all the kegs on a pallet bring it back to the distillery and we distilled it into a gin because that's just how we that's how we do it you know that's uh we don't want to waste things uh number one and number two we love working with uh the folks in knoxville and it's you know something that's pretty unique and i don't know a lot of other folks in around this area that are doing that well i know a lot of breweries in nashville would probably be very interested in that as well there are tons of distilleries in nashville that i should probably talk to you after this and, and get you in touch with definitely but you guys did a lot of gin but you also have a single malt whiskey here you have an amaro here you have a creme de cacao or a, mm-hmm. a cacao liquor yep what else do you guys have at postmodern spirits and tell me about this is going to be a very loaded question let's get it all out there right now how do y'all get started and and tell me about these other things and kind of what you're into yeah so we uh Postmodern Spirit started um, almost two years ago. August will be our second anniversary. And I have a partner in that business, Ron Grazioso, um, who is from Boston. Um, and we got a Good to, guy. I like uh, him already. Right? He is now, he's an honorary Southerner. You can become that if you live in the South long enough and you put um, a porch on the front and back of your house and you have a truck and you keep dogs. And so he's done all of those. I think he'll be a full-blooded Southerner when he puts the gun rack in the back window of his truck, but I don't know that he's ever going to get there. But uh, we started another distillery first. We had 11 partners in that distillery, and it was fine if you've ever been in a partnership with 11 people. um, You know there are unique challenges. Just imagine if you were married to 10 other people. (laughs) Um, And it's really kind of like that, just, you know, without some of the benefits that you get in a marriage. And so Ron and I saw kind of the writing on the wall. We asked, we, we sold our shares of that first distillery to partners. And then what what are those benefits? Um, um, well, it's a, um, it's a, it's a fun thing that, um, it's called divorce. <laughs> and, uh, that's kind of, you know, you don't have that as much in business. I think it's called a lawsuit in business, I guess divorce too, but, um, well, they, they all go to court. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Don't yeah. worry, but keep keep going. And so we got Postmodern started about two years ago, and kind of our approach was a little different. We um, didn't want to source anybody else's bourbon or whiskey. We didn't want to buy finished whiskey and put our label on it. Part of it is because both Ron and I are extremely obstinate, and a lot of people, when you're getting started in the business, will tell you that you have to do things one way. 
you have to do this, you have to do that. And everybody was saying, you have to go out and source some whiskey, get your name out there and build your market share and get your cash flow and things like that. And Ron and I are obstinate people. And we just said, no, that's not our vision for our business. We wanted to make lots of gins, lots of cocktail friendly spirits. And that worked for the cash flow that worked for the building market share. And then we started making whiskey. Um, and we started with a whole different style of whiskey. So if you've been sipping on that, that's single malt whiskey, that's 100% malted barley in the glass. And again, it goes back to working with those local brewers in Knoxville that also started life as a beer in Knoxville, Tennessee. We wanted to do something where we could work with people we really enjoyed working with and we could do things our own way. And so that's why it's postmodern. Uh, we kind of chose the name because of that postmodern application and whether it's art or architecture or um, literature, you know, they feel free to kind of pull from different examples and different types. And so we spent a lot of time with the first distillery, learning the basics of making bourbon, making gins, things like that. We wanted to kind of bring it up, freshen things up and do things kind of in our own way. And that's why we're making single malt whiskey in Tennessee when probably the safe money's on making corn-based whiskeys in Tennessee, like Tennessee whiskey or bourbon. And we just kind of seem to for whatever reason, find the more difficult way to go about things. So, um, well, and and before we we get to talking about the whiskey, I mean, you, you did talk about the gin a little bit, but as you guys are two years old, a lot of ways that distilleries early on keep the lights on, and you were talking about that a minute ago. Is you're either going to source stuff, you're going to make some clear liquid, mm -hmm. or you're going to do some things a little bit differently. So your clear liquid is gin. These whiskeys are. Are they aged a year, we, two um, years? Yeah, yeah. So we developed a strategy, and it's based on like a five-year approach. And we started with 15-gallon uh, barrels. We kind of reimagined having that experience with the first distillery. We kind of uh, learned a lot about the fermentation stages and a lot of the ways we can go in and reimagine the approach of making whiskey. For us, it starts with fermentation. We get uh, a really great... Um, you know, we make a really great little 100% um, malted barley mash, and then we do a really clean fermentation. Thank you, John. John's pouring me. What you're hearing now is John pouring me some whiskey. The first one we did of these was Short Mountain Distillery. I was smart, and I poured the, the whiskey before we started recording. So if, the, if you guys heard just a little bit of stirring, it was me trying to deftly with one hand pour whiskey while I talk to you and hold a microphone in the other hand. You're a talented man. I, you're a talented man. You're the only person that's ever told me that. <laughs> but keep going. So, so you're, yeah. you're, I like this five-year plan, though. I mean, it sounds so, like you guys are thought out and you took a lot of time to sit down when you're yeah. actually making your business plan. Unlike just like, hey, we're going to make whiskey and see what happens, or yeah. we're going to make gin and see what happens. No, for us, it was a couple things, um, and the whole goal is to get up. The, the traditional whiskey um, barrel size is, is 53 gallons. You know, that's kind of what you see in uh, in Kentucky in the bourbon distilleries. That's what you'll see at Jack Daniels. That's what you see at George Dickel. And, that you know, it takes many years for those to age, mature, and become this delicious liquid that you end up in those bottles. And so for us, the way we got there was just kind of reimagining the fermentation stage, taking a really, really uh, different approach in how we controlled our temperature and the fermentation, and then um, just 
just being really as scientific, as controlled as we can with that, with the distillation, and working with those 15-gallon barrels, which are basically a quarter the size. So we're a little smaller on the barrel size. So you have a lot more surface area touching that liquid with those smaller barrels. So they just, you can't leave the liquid in there as long in the smaller barrels. So, oh, that was a good sound effect. Um, that was kind of our approach, was to start with 15s, after a certain amount of time, switch over to 30 gallons, after a certain amount of time, switch over to 53 gallons. So everything we have on the market right now is a 15 gallon, is, is product out of a 15 gallon barrel. Everything we're filling right now is going into a 30 gallon barrel. So in about a year and a half or so, we'll start to transition everything we're bottling over to the 30 gallon. In about a year and a half, we'll start to transition um, a good portion of our production over to 53 gallon barrels to get up to those full size barrels. Um, and as we do it, we kind of will make some changes on our production techniques with the fermentation um, and some things like that because there's some really interesting uh, chemical reactions that occur in those barrels and we want to take advantage of those that can occur um, with longer time really get you know something that will be a little more it'll be a different whiskey but um, one of the things we like about the 15 gallon barrels is it's really kind of shortened that feedback loop from uh, from the end consumer from from people tasting it giving us feedback we've already been able to kind of you know nudge our whiskey in a few different ways and have some different, you know, different flavors coming through. The question I have after listening to all of that, why would you wait to, to move to 53-gallon barrels? Is it just your production size and the way that you're making things? Or is it a, a different business strategy? Because I would think, hell, I'd want to get stuff aging now longer than, mm -hmm. you know, the, the two years. I'd put some stuff in 53 and just put it away and come back to it and see how it's doing in four years, yeah. right? Well, you know, sure, if you can afford to do that and keep your whiskey aging and turning um, and supplying the market with you, then sure, that's a great way to do it. But for us, you know, we don't have that kind of capital. So it's... So the, the market has... We have kind of the constraints of running the actual business um, uh, to think about. We like to make payroll. I'll tell you guys something. I'm not going to ask a question that I don't already have the gist of the answer to so i wanted him to say that for a reason but for you guys a lot of it comes to a business constraint and a money constraint right because it that stuff that that is going in the barrel it's going to cost you more to actually age it mm -hmm. and get you know the government's going to come and take some money and say hey it, that's sitting there aging that sounds good i i want some of that uh, even though you haven't sold it yet right. Give us no. some money for that. Give us some money next year on it. However, Tennessee does things differently than, than other states. But so it's a, a gradual process that you're then building up mm -hmm. rather than take on more investment money in the beginning. You're almost learning from having those 11 investors before or 11 business partners before saying, yeah. hey, it's smaller. We're not going to be able to go for broke from the beginning. Yeah. And it's a gradual build. And then the other side of that too was, you know, when we started the first one, we took out loans. So we were answering to other people. Um, and then our decision making was based off of the fact that we were carrying debt. We're two years in with postmodern and we don't have any debt. We've paid off all our debt. We don't, you know, we're, it's. Wait, seriously? For reals. For hey, shizzle? For, yes. 
totally. it's crazy. Totes. Um, and so it was just a different approach. It's just a whole different approach to doing the business side. And so uh, if you don't mind, can we go back and cut that out, though? Because <laughs> if people find out <laughs> that you can do things the way we did things. Um, do you really want me to cut yeah, it out? Because I no. will. No, I'm kidding. Um, and, but, but it it was just a whole you know, everything we do it's just a different approach. It's also like knowing where you are and knowing who you are. We're in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're right downtown. We're in the city. We're like like in the city in the city. Uh, if you call Knoxville a city, I call it a big town. But we're right downtown, so there's nightlife around us. So we stay open till eleven o'clock. It's the latest that the state will allow us to stay open. And we have a lot of visitors at night that come through, and it's socializing, it's hanging out, it's trying some things, and so that plays a big driver in our business as well. How about do you guys have any food attached to it or a restaurant? Not or? really. No, no. We kind of left all of our square footage. We're in about 5,000 square feet. Um, a thousand of that's the patio, um, about a thousand for the tasting room and 3000 for production. So it's funny. There are some places in Nashville that are either a brewery or distillery. And they're like, listen, we don't have anything, but we're going to let a food truck go park outside our place every day. So you can go out to the food truck, get some hot chicken or whatever, and then go into the brewery and and actually sit there. Southern grist does that. They Mm -hmm. have, their East Nashville location, they have some partnerships with a different uh, East Nashville food place every day. You could get food from there, or in the nations, you can actually go get the Honey Fire Barbecue food truck yeah. outside. We're um, we're literally uh, surrounded by bars and restaurants, um, and these are bars and restaurants that we sell in wholesale distribution to. So while I do, while I love food trucks. They're not buying any of our product. <laughs> good, good call. So, so we're not Again. really, we're not really pushing a lot of business their way. What we do is uh, send people to all the bars and you know we we encourage people to go to the bars and restaurants around us and come sit. You know, if you're out downtown in Knoxville, there's 75 restaurants within a two or three block walk, and now they've got those little motorized scooters. Um, so you can you can terrorize people with those. Oh, I hate and those ding the bells. And uh, if you don't like those, we have pedal power. We have rental bikes in Knoxville. Um, those are just as dangerous. Well, no, it's, for me to run over you on because um, I'll be driving my car. Uh, but no, it's because they have the scooters. So all the people here who has scooters in your city, town, the bird, the the green ones, yeah. the, the the black and red ones, yeah. They drive them on the road. That's the the biggest thing, yeah. and and they come right out. They don't have blinkers. They don't do anything. They just drive them on the road, and it's almost like they aim them at cars. I'm like, I have a truck. I'm gonna hit you. It's but gonna, yeah, yeah. It's I want to go back to how Stanton is rewriting the rules for business <laughs> of a distillery, and I almost feel like there is a way to supplement your income in consulting because I feel like after this podcast and and once people really understand what Postmodern is doing, there's probably going to be a lot of consulting work for you where they could say, Stanton, teach us how to actually do this and, and stay out of the red pretty early. Yeah. So you're doing the whiskey, you're doing the, the gin right now, you have this Amaro, mm-hmm. but talk to me about this whiskey that you poured. So in- what everybody has right now, what we have right now, that's the uh, Postmodern Spirits 
American single malt whiskey. It is 100% malted barley on the mash bill. So this is a whiskey of a much, much different style. This is not bourbon. There is no corn in this. Um, it is all malted barley. It's about 50% pale two-row malt, um, about 25% cherrywood smoked malt. Um, and then the rest is predominantly a heavier kilned malt, a kind of barley malt that will, like a crystal malt, that will add a little bit more sweetness. Uh, those malt, uh, the, the, you know, the, when you get into fermenting and distilling those malts, it, the whiskeys tend a little more towards dryness. And that's not necessarily where a lot of the American palates tend to go. And so, again, we wanted to do something that was unique, something that was very different. You know, you're never going to out George, George. You're never going to out Jack, Jack. So you got to go your own way. You got to, you know, you got to know who you are and be willing to try something. And it's definitely not, uh, it's, you know, it's probably not for everybody. Tends more towards um, grain style, you know, is obviously much more like a Scotch or an Irish whiskey. Barrel treatments like anything that would be labeled as whiskey in America in that it had to go into a new barrel. For those of you that are in the audience, who liked this? Raise your hands. Because some people, I, I feel like unlike the other whiskey, there's going to be some that yeah. really like this style. There's going to be some people that don't like this style. And I will assure you that Stanton knows that's okay. There is a, a, a quality of this that is not going to be for everybody. But the people that like it, I will tell you, as someone who dabbles in Scotch and Irish whiskey, a lot of the advantages to American single malts is that it is the Scotch without the peat. Some people don't like scotch because they say it tastes like a Band-Aid. And a lot of times that's the peated Isla scotches. They will, your Laphroaigs and your Ardbegs and things like that are going to be more peaty and they're going to have that Band-Aid taste where a Balvenny or a, a Glenfiddich or something like that outside of there might be a little bit easier on the palate. I feel like this has the greatest qualities of that scotch, and I wouldn't even put it in an Irish whiskey category because I feel like that Irish whiskey goes down so easy. It has mm -hmm. more of that substance of a scotch without the, the band-aidness. Sorry, I rambled. I, but. No, I like it. I like it because I don't – I've met very few people in my life that like to go into the store and grab a box of band-aids and start chewing on it. <laughs> But I get it, like, and but I do like scotch, um, and I'll drink an Isla from time to time, and it doesn't bother me in that setting. Probably also the alcohol um, has an effect that that carries me along on that. But no, I think we knew going into it that there were there's a certain set of folks, and it's a large set. You know, bourbon is. Uh, I hear they've even got like blogs about just about bourbon, um, and Podca you know, and so it's, I heard and, there were people that podcasts. did podcasts yeah, just about yeah. bourbon, and so it's crazy. But we also knew going into it, using those smaller barrels, having that formula, we you don't get as good a results with the corn. Let's just I'll put it. I'll be totally upfront with you. The small barrel bourbons, in my experience, have been uh, very lackluster, and it was our goal was to get a whiskey that we felt passionate about that we felt like was good enough that we would want to buy in the store if we had that opportunity um, and that's why we ended up with the malted barley on one hand and and there were a lot of you know a lot of other factors that went into it but we felt like starting with that malted barley starting with that really clean fermentation left us the most options um, for getting a really good compelling whiskey out of that barrel um, out of those 15 gallon barrels to start with so that's what you got there 
I think that is incredibly straightforward and transparent, <laughs> and I appreciate your candor on the subject. Let's move to the Amaro. Yeah. Um, Amaro Arancha. Um, Tell me a little bit about this one. So Amaro is a kind of a category or a class. It's, it's not necessarily a category that's recognized by the TTB. Um, if you'd like to, yeah. If people, I poured it for each of us. So Amaro means okay. bitter in Italian. So this is this is literally a bitter Italian style liqueur that we distill from orange zest, gentian root for the bittering, and then we do some coriander and cardamom in there as well. So the color comes from post distillation. We let it sit on uh, orange peels, and that's where the color comes from. So it's going to finish bitter. That's what we want it for. Think uh, if you do cocktails, this would be like in your Negroni or your Boulevardier or something to that nature. It goes great with champagne, but most everything in life does go great with champagne. <laughs> it does have that citrus orange notes to it yeah even on the nose it's almost like an orange perfume it's it's a little bit floral with that a lot of citrus oil yeah a lot of citrus oil and you get that fresh so you distill it um you know we 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 pay a lot of attention my partner ron does the majority of the distillation work he is was a scientist by trade did a lot of physics and engineering and so his approach to the distillation was to kind of research on the food chemistry side and see where different, um, see where those flavor oils, what their vaporization temperatures were. And so that's kind of where we do our collections and where we make our cuts on, on things. What's the proof on this one? That one is uh, 70, I believe. So it's really good for a cocktail. Even tasting this, I'm tasting it neat right now, but this is never going to be something that you pretty much sit there and and sip on. Neat. No, no. I think for the Italians, this if we were in Italy, um, it might be an after dinner. It would be after dinner. It would be a digestif. However, within the the we have three Amari that we make at the distillery. This one for us, we look at more um, as an aperitivo, like a pre dinner. And so we're utilizing this in cocktails. It's a little lighter in style, lighter in body, really fresh orange, but bitter. <laughs> and I think I appreciate this one so much because I'm Italian. So there you it, go. It's right up my alley. This is something I'd be used to <laughs> with a with a meal like that. You know, a palate cleanser after you have the salad at the end of your meal. Yeah, which is a, a traditional Italian thing. This one is really who. For the people who have had it so far, what do you think about this one? <laughs> you got to get used to it. It's not. Yeah. 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 Ooh. Yeah. A lot of citrus to it. I almost kind of want to put this in a spray bottle and spray this around my house, too. Yeah. Like, I think it would be really good in the bathroom. It would sanitize too. That yeah. that ethanol, that ethanol in there would sanitize. And then I could kind of like good. spray it in front of my mouth yeah. and get a little a sip of it. Let's move on to the gin, and then we will talk about the single barrel of whiskey last. But this gin, this is not for everyone. I just want to make sure we touch on this one real quick. This is one of the gins that you got from the the beer right this the- is well no this is actually the geniferous this is um this is our workhorse gin this is our it's kind of that new american style we call it western gin craft style gin american gin meaning that it's not london dry 
and I'm kind of on a personal crusade and mission to turn more whiskey drinkers into daytime gin drinkers. And I grew up in Tennessee. I tend to drink a lot. I don't drink as much bourbon during the daytime in Tennessee um, as, as I would like as I get older because then I don't recognize when the nighttime rolls around. And so for me, I love gin and I find a lot of, it's not the same flavors, but I feel like it's activating a lot of the same sensory stuff when I drink gin because there is a lot of flavor going on in gins. And so for us, what we did with the Jeniferous, this is a ton of fresh citrus zest. We use lemons, uh, lime, we zest fresh lemons, fresh limes. We use citra hops. One of our brewer friends kind of turned us on to that. A little bit of lavender, a lot of juniper in there as well. Uh, juniper is kind of the defining factor of gin. It's got to be your the highest amount and concentration in your formulas. And then there's coriander, a little bit of lavender to finish it off. No, I, I definitely get the lavender on there and the nose, the bouquet that this one brings. I think I really like gin because drinking bourbon... If you drink bourbon or whiskey, Tennessee whiskey every day, you're going to your your palate isn't going to evolve because you're pretty much mm-hmm. getting the same thing all the time. So sometimes I like to I like to go off with an Armagnac or I go off with some gin or a nice rum or there are some really really good higher end tequilas and I'm not talking about saying high end like Patron, but there are barrel aged tequilas. Um, there's some really good ones that we've reviewed if you go back in our back catalog it's good to constantly be kicking other things at your palate so that you aren't stagnant but that you realize there's other good stuff out there mm-hmm. it's ne- sometimes you have to go away because your palate is going to change and your palate's never going to change unless you're testing it and trying yep. so we've had it, it's well known that zeke and i like to experiment with some gin I'll tell you right now, this is this is right up there with some of the best I've had. Oh, awesome. Thanks, man. I, I love the nose on it. The nose probably reminds me the most. Uh, there is Old Elk does a dry town gin, and it, it's a little more. If people want yeah, if people want some gin. He was going to give that one to me to take back to review, but he'll, he'll give me another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Um, that dry town gin, it, it's actually a different type of botanical. And I almost think with this, I mean, the Castle and Key gin has come out that yeah. was really yeah. good as Marianne well. Marion did a great job on the Castle and Key gin. I would put this right up there with so even in, Thanks, in Nashville, Heath Clark has a great gin. Love Heath's gin. And I actually worked for Heath for a while in between uh, the first distillery that you I started. You did some lawyering? Uh, uh, no, no, worked for him at at H. Clark. Oh, really? Um, yeah, yeah. And Heath stuff, if you haven't had a chance to try um, H. Clark bourbon or the Tennessee dry gin, do yourself a favor and, and hop to it. That black and tan that he has is dangerous, and his rye, that yeah. he only put one rye out, that's really, really, really good. Yep. He was supposed to be here, but he's kind of like our Matt Damon. So apologies to Heath Clark. You were supposed to be here for this weekend, and you could have been with us. He he was busy with other stuff, so <laughs> apologies to Heath Clark. We couldn't get you on today. R- what's the price point on your stuff? Let's talk about that a little um, bit. So too. yeah, uh, standard prices for the gin is right around thirty. Knoxville, it's thirty, and Nashville, it's I think it's thirty three. The whiskey is kind of the same; it's forty. 
in Nashville, I think it's 43 because, you know, everything's more expensive in Nashville. Um, but, yeah, everything's in that 30 to $40 price range. Would everybody get this gin that's had it so far? Who likes the gin? If you like the gin, clap. Yeah. All right. What about what about the whiskey? Would you get the whiskey? I, I'm a fan. Yeah, yeah. I'm a fan. I I believe, you know, when it comes to some of the things, if 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 you're not so sure on the whiskey, go ahead and get it at a bar. And I'm sure there's a bunch of places in Knoxville you're getting other, more oh, in yeah, Nashville. Yeah. Um, getting more into Nashville too, um, in bars and restaurants. The other thing with whiskey is, remember, it's not going to go bad, but. <laughs> When you try it the first time, when you open a bottle and you try it and, you know, it's going to hit your palate. That was a bottle we just opened. If we went back and tried this tomorrow after it's been open for a day or two days, it's going to be slightly different. Go back to those things you don't like, those whiskeys you tried that you don't like, those bourbons you think you don't like, that you told yourself you did not like. And try it again in a different situation, a different time. Do something different. Try, you know, have, have some of the food that you like with it. You know, try it in a different setting and just try something a little different with it. I cannot tell you how many bourbons in my collection that I said I hated or how many things I drank once and I said I hate that and put it on the shelf and then came back to it a week later, a month later, a year later and was just like, you know, it was like a light switch going on and I found that I really loved it, really liked it when I revisited it. And and it was all just maybe uh, the attitude I went into it with the first time or something was different, something softened up just the right way and I found that I like it. I don't know if that ever happens to you, John. All the time, all the time. It's something where there are some things also too when you first open it and first crack, you may not have the nose. The nose may not be there, and some people don't realize that your nose is the majority of how you actually taste something. So if I don't have a nose there, I'm not going to really get into tasting notes and really dig it unless I let it open it up. So a lot of times before Zeke and I review something, we'll make sure it's open and the bottle's getting some air so that we're not just getting it fresh, fresh crack. We've left it open for at least an hour or yeah yeah you know. i think it's great there was a food writer once that said um he would never review a restaurant based off one meal at that restaurant you know he would go back that for was lunch. just his way of getting free food he would go <laughs> yes that too uh, uh he would go back for dinner and give them multiple times because you can't you know that one shot that's all you're getting it's like a picture when what you want is a movie you have to give me about five meals before i can <laughs> review this place <laughs> But remember, they were going in and the newspaper was paying for the meal. No, the newspaper wasn't yeah, yeah, paying yeah. for the meal. They were going in. Uh, uh, this, were, was, this was back in the day when newspapers had money. No, they were getting <laughs> that meal for free. There, there were some kickbacks. No, no, that's the new model with the uh, Instagram um, influencers that go in and no, get the free meal now. The funny thing <laughs> is if you talk to our friend Heath, he, he calls us the podcast that pays. Oh, right so, on. Yeah. We're not trying to get free stuff from everyone. <laughs> we always say, like, hey, if you want to give us two ounces, that's okay. I appreciate people that share, and, yeah. and but we never go into it saying... Asking that, for your, with your hand out. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And, and it's more we know that you guys are small businesses. You guys are trying to 
to to make it right mm-hmm. so we don't want people to keep kicking free stuff out to us it's like you know what hey how about you come over and i'll share some stuff with you yeah. and you share your bottles with us and that'll be enough we'll just have a fun yep. time i mean even today you know i brought a bottle i brought our, our drink more turkey our russell's yeah. reserve that i felt like i should bring something to share with you and there's guys. a, a Something that maybe a lot of people don't know, um, the Russells actually have forgotten more about making whiskey than I'll probably ever know. So, <laughs> you know, you got to um, keep trying and you got to keep drinking other stuff. That's why Jimmy writes everything down in a book that he gave to Bruce. So Eddie doesn't have the book, but Bruce has the there book. There you go. You're going to move to 53-gallon barrels. What else does the future have in store for postmodern spirits? Um, so coming up, uh, in August, we're going to have our two-year anniversary. We've been working with a few different grains. We're not, you know, we, right now all we have out is single malt, uh, malted barley-based whiskeys. But for our two-year anniversary in August, we're coming out with our first rye. Uh, we've been working with Elkmont Exchange. They do a nice uh, high rye mash for us. So we'll have those barrel, we'll have those bottled. Uh, those will be available in the distillery in August. So we're really excited about that. She's a, a pretty delicious, sweet number. Um, that's coming up August, end of August, August 27th. We have some interesting, we did a multi-grain whiskey with Elkmont as well. Um, and then we do a series of single barrel whiskeys each year called the Collab. And it's where we work with, uh, we do four barrels, four different breweries. Each brewery gets to come up with a different mash bill for each barrel their own barrel. We fill them at the first of the year. We crack into those in November and we do kind of a a month long into December where we do a lot of giveaways uh, or not giveaways, but we do a lot of, uh, we raise a lot of money for charity in Knoxville. And these are organizations um, and the community in Knoxville that has supported us from day one. Um, It supports the 20 plus breweries we have in Knoxville. So it's kind of our opportunity to work with people we really respect in the market in Knoxville and give back to that market. And so we do a cocktail contest with the brewers in the distillery that we sell tickets to. Part of it's to try the cocktail. Part of it is to watch those brewers fumble around behind the bar um, for a few minutes. And uh, then we send our bartenders in to relieve them so everybody can actually get a drink. And we sell tickets to that. All of that goes to charity. We do a portion of proceeds from the bottle sales to charity. And then we just kind of, we start writing checks and send it out to the community um, as people start buying the bottles. So uh, that'll be coming up in November. Can't wait. And I I hope we can find a way to get out and do that with you. But thank you so, so much. I will say this single barrel is fantastic as well. But we are on a time crunch here at the Little Arrow Resort in Townsend, Tennessee. It is an awesome resort here, I should just mention. Go ahead and find them on Instagram at Little Arrow Resort. Is it littlearrowresort.com? Camp Camp Little Arrow. I got it right on the Instagram, but it's camplittlearrow.com. Go ahead and check them out. Stanton, where can the people find Postmodern Spirits? Postmodernspirits.com for the website, um, and then across the social media platforms, we are Postmodern Spirits. So uh, very active on Instagram and Facebook, and um, yeah. I really, really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate the candor. Go ahead and find Dad's Drinking Bourbon on Instagram at Dad's Drinking Bourbon, Twitter at Bourbon Dads, Facebook at Dad's Drinking Bourbon. Join our Facebook group. 
answer a couple of questions. We'd love to have you come in and hang out with us. You can find us on your favorite podcast app, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube, whatever it is, we're on it. Please go ahead, go in and leave us an open and honest review, just like we leave an open and honest review out of any spirit we taste. You can also find us in Nashville, Tennessee. Call us up. Send us a message. We'd love to get together and share a pour with you. Stanton, cheers. Cheers, John. Yeah.